Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. President Biden signed into the law the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, of 2022. It was a sweeping $750 billion effort to address inflation by reducing health care costs, to bring down the federal deficit by bolstering tax collection, and to combat climate change by encouraging domestic clean energy production. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. To help us better understand the IRA, specifically the portion on climate change, we are joined by Julian Spector, a senior reporter at Canary Media, where he reports on clean energy. Julian, welcome to the Green Sense Show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I look forward to getting into this and we can spend hours on this. So we'll try to just hit the uh, key points today. Uh, Canary Media is an independent nonprofit newsroom covering the transition to clean energy and solutions to the climate crisis. You worked at Green Tech Media prior to this, the City Lab at the Atlantic, and conducted grant funding uh, freelance journalism on climate impacts in Bangladesh. Wow. You graduated from Dune University, and now you live in L.A. Anything else you'd like to add to your short bio there? Uh, yeah, well, I'm actually at the moment joining you from Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, where there's uh, a ton of clean energy changes afoot. So I'm out here for a little uh, summer, summer enjoyment and, and reporting, um, at the same time. Well, one of my highlights on green sense show is I, uh, was doing work for the state and I got to do, um, interviews with people in Hawaii. Cause I always thought, thought that Hawaii was a living sustainable laboratory. They have all that renewable energy sources from cold, deep, cold water to cool buildings, to solar, to wind. And uh, just an amazing place. And you're well-dressed to fit the Hawaiian seed. Our, our listeners can't see, but you've got a nice Hawaiian shirt on there. So uh, thank you for joining us and sorry to interrupt your vacation. <laughs> oh, no, it's work. It's all work out here. Uh, they, they shut down the last coal plant in the state last summer. And, and now I'm seeing kind of what, what comes after you, you get rid of coal and try to replace it with renewables. Well, and also they have that bunker fuel oil that runs a lot of their power plants, which is very toxic. And it's, uh, you know, such a nice, pristine environment. So we could spend a whole issue on Hawaii. Well, today we'll focus on the discussion on the IRA, specifically the $369 billion allocated to the energy, security, and climate change programs over the next 10 years. So to put this into context, some are comparing the IRA to the New Deal which was a series of programs, public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations enacted by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in the United States between 1933 and 1939. Beside the energy and security and climate change, the IRA has a number of other areas that we won't focus on. I just want to touch on for a second, and it enacts historic deficit reduction to flight inflation, allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices, and caps out a pocket cost to 2000 lowers Affordable Care Act health care premiums for millions of Americans, makes big corporations and ultra-wealthy pay their fair share of taxes, and no new taxes on families making 400000 or less, and no new taxes on small businesses, closing tax loopholes and enforcing the tax code. 
I know this is not your specialty, but do you want to comment on that uh, and any of those programs? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a huge uh, piece of legislation and and really touches on all sorts of sectors of the economy. Um, something that reminded me of is I, I saw uh, Senator Joe Manchin of, of West Virginia recently at a clean energy factory opening in, in West Virginia that was made possible by the IRA. And he, he made sure in his remarks to say, you know, there's like $200 billion in just straight up deficit reduction there. No one talks about that. He's kind of... Uh, you know, um, d- dismayed that that no one seems to remember there was a whole portion of it that he he made sure to include that was just paying down the the national debt. But it, it, yeah, it's it's uh, and sorry, yeah, that was debt, not not deficit. But um, I think it it also goes to show that uh, it's hard to visualize that as a benefit for people. You know, it, it might make sense in conceptual terms, but so many of these other portions of the law are, are directly giving people something that's that's tangible and, and beneficial in the form of cheaper clean energy that that lowers their bills. And it, it seems like that ultimately might resonate more with uh, with voters. Well, the uh, this IRA also is somewhat unique in that it plans to pay for all these programs by raising $739 billion from improved tax collection and tax program reform. Explain to us how that works, how unique that is, and what happens if they fail to achieve that goal and they don't raise all that money? How are these programs going to get funded? Yeah, well, the, the, you know, there's uh, sort of a lot of low hanging fruit of uh, tax collection that j- just, you know, things they could tighten up and 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 additional money that could be recouped with more um, human power uh, assigned to it. So, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of fairly common sense things to, to do there. Um, the money does need to come through to pay for all these things. And, and some of the analyses I've seen more recently think that the clean energy components will end up costing more than the original $370 billion or so because uh, people are so enthusiastically taking advantage of them. So, it, yeah, it's possible we'll actually need to, to, to raise some more money. Um, but I haven't heard anyone who's like concerned about that not coming through. And uh, in fact, the issues that the folks in the clean energy sector have tend to be more on waiting for the IRS to publish the the exact rules for how they can claim those tax credits. And that's taken a while for some of the, some of the components. So if they're, if they're concerned about the tax side of it, it's, it's actually more on the, like, how how can we, how can we file for these and how can we structure our, our investments in order to, to get that, that money. How unique is this kind of a, uh, a, a self-funding, and I don't know if it's self-funding, but funded through these tax increases. Is this unique? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a symptom of a, a broader um, trend in American energy policy, which is like uh, legislators have been pretty resistant to um, outright fund uh, this transition to clean energy. So they, they almost always want to do it through tax credits. And in fact, uh, the modern wind and solar industry really came to maturity via uh, investment tax credits and production tax credits that were actually started under the George W. Bush administration and then kept getting renewed in a bipartisan manner over the subsequent uh, years. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is... Um, there are some limitations to doing energy policy through tax credits. Like you, you can't kind of direct funds as uh, specifically. You have to 
offer these credits and wait for people to come and, and apply for them on their taxes. And then as a, as a necessary follow on, you have to have a tax burden to take advantage of these. So for a long time, actually nonprofits and, and public power entities were kind of shut out of the benefits of these cheaper renewable uh, projects because they don't have a tax filing at all. Um, and the IRA actually did change that and give, give them a, a way to collect the, the, the tax credit sort of directly through direct pay, as they call it. Um, but um, yeah, uh, you know, it makes a lot of money for the, the lawyers and the tax accountants and the people who get to kind of file the paperwork uh, to claim all these things. It's maybe not the most efficient way, but that's how we're able to get it done in, in Congress as it is currently. Well, in a divisive uh, Congress or political uh, scenario that we have these days, it's amazing anything got passed. And so kudos to everybody for getting this done, right or wrong. Well, the IRA states it will lower energy costs, increase cleaner production, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. Some people say that's aggressive. Others say we're not moving fast enough. How are they going to do this? What are the programs out there that allow them to achieve this? Yeah, and, and to put that into context, so the the U.S. commitment under the Paris Agreement is to lower emissions uh, about fifty percent by twenty thirty um, relative to the two thousand five baseline. So, um, you know, a lot of these analyses have suggested the IRA gets us about forty percent. So that's you know not all the way there, but most of the way there, um, and certainly. Uh, much closer than we would have been without it. Um, and, you know, the, the the thing is, there's always possibility that things will move faster than expected because history has shown us that every time people, uh, you know, the experts projected a, a flat or, or slow growth for solar, the, the empirical data show solar always beats those expectations. And there's some very funny look backs at kind of where, where the, the smart minds expected solar to be versus where it's been every year. And it's always beating expectations. So it's very possible that this stuff does move faster and the kind of, um, you know, processes that kick off from the IRA uh, speed up deployment uh, compared to what we think today. Um, the main mechanisms for achieving those reductions are lowering the effective cost of, of clean energy. Um, so there's credits to install uh, large scale solar plants, battery plants, wind power, there's stuff in there for, for nuclear as well. And um, the sort of emerging hydrogen economy, which hasn't really proven itself uh, yet, but a, a lot of people think it's gonna be important. Um, and so you get, uh, if, if you use uh, sort of certain labor standards, there's kind of some, some labor protections in there, you get a 30% credit off the cost of the clean power plant. You can add to that by um, doing things like building in communities that used to have energy projects that are getting shut down because they want to direct funds to, you know, places that are, say, losing their coal plant and need some new, new support. Um, and then there's domestic content bonuses too. So like you can stack these and get, say, 50% off the capital costs of your clean energy project. Um, which effectively lets developers or, or utility companies get clean power cheaper for them because it's getting kind of paid for by this federal investment. Um, and then there's other things more consumer oriented on the you know electric vehicle credits. There's a whole slew of uh, things for home home upgrades that uh, reduce your, your carbon emissions. So 
uh, heat pumps that can heat and cool your house using electricity and they're highly efficient uh, and, and various other forms of like installation and weatherization and um, you know, yeah, thousands of dollars of tax credits per, per household um, that are included in there. Um, and then there's also a whole wing of manufacturing credits that are, are bringing the jobs to create all this equipment back to the US. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that necessarily impacts the carbon outlook, you know, but I mean, it'll be lower carbon if we're producing these things in the US and then installing them in the US than if we're shipping them across the sea and if they're made with coal power in some other country versus clean power in the US like there 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 are some some material benefits there uh on top of the the jobs and economic growth so that's a that's a few I'll I'll, I'll stop there well thank you very much and that was a great summary and i think this is part of the reason you don't hear the uh mainstream media discussing this it's complicated it's detailed and especially when it gets into tax credits. I think tax credits are a fair way to give incentives because it holds everybody's feet to the fire. You don't do the project, you don't produce the revenue, you don't get the tax credit. So um, I think you know, that's that's true. And, and, and it's also something that wins friends in the business community because, yes. um, you know, if it, if it was structured differently, I mean, there's already calls from Republicans in Congress to, to undo all this legislation. They've, they've tried to repeal it a few times already. Um, but, you know, if you've promised tax credits to the business community and industry and they do the thing that the law said grant gets them access to this tax credit and then someone tries to take away that tax credit, you got a lot of unhappy, you know, business leaders to to deal with. So it, it does kind of create this constituency to keep things going. Um, whereas if it was based on like penalties, uh, it's a little easier for people to coalesce around. Like, why don't we get rid of that that thing that would penalize me? Uh, so, or if it's grants, you know, there's always you know question how'd you get them. But with tax credits, mm -hmm. you got to do mm -hmm. the project to get the incentive. Well, totally. I heard you mention electricity a lot. And I think this is the uh, elephant in the room, is that our electric grid is somewhat of a myth. There isn't this homogenous national grid that functions consistently throughout the country. It's a patchwork of about a thousand different utility companies, some privately, some publicly owned, and they have different levels of efficiency out there. And with this bill, we're going to go to a much more electric use, less fossil fuel use. Uh, and the grid is not set up to really handle this. You know, I heard a uh, new term, it's grid locked, is that the grid <laughs> will not be able to handle all that demand. And um, there's not a lot of money in here relative to the amount of fixing that needs to be done to the grid. For example, California is getting uh, less than a billion dollars for grid repair. And they have a estimated cost to get the grid up to par at $9 billion. Speak to that. Yeah, well, so the the transmission grid, which is kind of the big super highway of the electric system, uh, did get kind of a short shrift in, in the, the final legislation. Um, there had been some uh, proposals to do like tax credits specifically for building transmission. Um, and those didn't make it in. Um, so the, that that's definitely a kind of outstanding policy area. Like when, when I ask 
clean energy leaders now like okay we got the ira done what what's next what's your next ask for for policy um almost everyone says we got to fix the transmission system um and the reason for that i mean there's one aspect is just general wear and tear and after deferring maintenance on these wires a lot of the country has pretty old uh pretty old wires and infrastructure that's crumbling on its own and if you let it go too far you can end up with like deadly fires like what happened with pg&e in california a few years ago um so there's some just upkeep that needs to happen but then the whole new phenomenon is all the renewable power getting built in the places that are sunniest and windiest which and have wide open available land and that tends to be far away from population centers that consume the power so there's this whole new need to connect the the cheap clean energy projects to the consumers and um, that's where we're running into a lot of problems um and it's it's a complicated beast it's like part of it's the different jurisdictions because if you're trying to build uh, uh, uh across multiple state lines you have different bodies who are able to veto that or weigh in different permitting authorities and um it's you know a mix of people who may be legitimately concerned about construction near their home or people who just don't want clean energy happening or there's a lot of reasons why people might oppose it and there's a lot of different um pathways they can kind of block it given all the jurisdictions um and then there's some questions about who should pay for it you know if you have uh private developers building a huge wind farm in new mexico and then they want to get it to people in like chicago um you know is that on them to pay for the wires to take it if, if the benefits are sort of diffuse because it's bringing more clean energy into the national system or at least the regional system uh should that be a, a socialized cost and um different utilities have different planning mechanisms to to try to figure this out but pretty universally any any anyone who's out there developing and building renewables is frustrated with the pace of uh what they call interconnection which is you know getting the the permission and the in the physical ability to to like hook your project up to the grid yeah it's a complex issue and i don't know how we're going to solve it and as you alluded to maybe we even need a special bill that just deals with the grid because it's so specific to the power industry and it's so needed um yeah and, and there is oh. some there is some movement around that um and it, it also ties into the permitting reform question which is also thorny because um the more fossil fuel oriented people in congress want to make it easier to go and build say gas pipelines or, or drill for oil and gas um and you know climate advocates are really worried about that um but there's a whole contingent of renewables and and transmission grid people who also want permitting reform because it needs to be easier and quicker to to build the clean stuff um so yeah some folks I talked to in Washington think there might be some kind of bargain that's possible there and it's just a question of how much can the climate folks give to the fossil fuel folks in exchange for getting more more clean energy and 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 grid infrastructure well, this bill has so much in it. Uh, there's there's incentives for business, for agriculture, for academia, nonprofits, and individuals. And so we don't have time to go all over it. Uh, maybe we'll have you back and, and, and dig into some of these other areas. 
But let's hit uh, two. One is individuals and one is agriculture, because agriculture is a big producer of greenhouse gas, uses a lot of water and energy and transportation. So let's start out with individuals. What Give us just a highlight and tell us about some of the juicy incentives that are available for individuals. Yeah, so um, there's uh, incentives in here to, to really help you decarbonize your life uh, uh, on a lot of levels. Um, you know, a big picture, like the biggest source of emission, carbon emissions in the U.S. right now is transportation um, with about 28%. And then electric power is like 25% of the emissions, uh, according to the EPA. So, um, you can tackle both of those in your own life, uh, by using the credits to buy an electric car. Um, there's now credits for used electric, uh, vehicles, which didn't used to exist. So, um, you know, that's nice. And then, uh, they've kind of opened up the, the credits, uh, where there, there used to be a cap on, each automaker once they hit a certain number of vehicles sold and that that's they removed the cap um there is some tesla's happy or, about that aren't they <laughs> yeah because they sold so many cars ahead of everyone that then you couldn't you couldn't get the credit anymore um but yeah the uh the the complexity there is there's going to be some some requirements kicking in around domestic uh battery sourcing um and so in a few years like getting the full credit will depend on the car makers building the batteries in the US. And there's a lot of questions around how quickly we could ramp up the battery production. So sort of stay stay tuned on that. But I, I think for now you're good to go. Uh, because you know, there's a there's a phase-in period for um the domestic requirements there. Um, but then the the household, like I mentioned, you can, you know, if you want to put solar on your roof, if you want to get a battery uh to store it and, and give you backup power. Um, there's credits for that, the the home electrification, which is, you know, swapping out your gas stove for an induction stove or doing the heat pump to basically taking out the, the, the hot water heaters, anything that's like burning fuel in your own home, um, you can get money for, for swapping that to electric things. Um, a kind of challenge there is actually going to be finding an electrician who can do it for you. Um, because there's generally not enough, uh, and many of them have uh, their own views on the efficacy of, of these newer clean clean electric uh, appliances versus the gas ones that they know and love. Um, so, I've heard does this mean that who, I could finally afford my on-demand water heaters? Um, yeah, there's a there's a whole realm of of like electric uh, hot water heaters, um, and and some of them come with you know insulated tanks and stuff so you can kind of charge it up at the times when uh, electricity is cheaper and then it keeps it keeps it warm and ready for you you know if you if you if you get charged different amounts for power in different times of day you can like toggle around those um so yeah a lot of, a lot of exciting stuff in the home electrification space um we actually just launched a new series at canary media on how to electrify your home that's going to be a, a regular column um yeah, and I'm trying to think. So, any other sort of individual? Well, let's, let's talk about leaders? agriculture. Uh, a quick, uh, I, I, we're a little short on time, but how do you uh, give a quick uh, snapshot on what's available for agriculture? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to give a quick one because there's so many little pockets of of funding in, and you know, there's all these different billions of dollars of grant opportunities in the IRA that 
are, are too numerous to list, but a lot of those actually are, are targeted towards, uh, you know, building clean energy in rural communities. There's, there's federal money for um, like cooperatives and, and tribal entities trying to convert to, to cleaner energy. Um, and yeah, so, so th- in many cases, those are actually grants. So it's not even a tax credit, um, which is important because they're not necessarily for-profit groups that would need to take advantage of that. Um, and then uh, you had pointed out uh, before this that there, there is some ethanol um, uh, money in there as well, which I have to admit, I didn't even realize was it because there's so many components yeah, of this massive, so program- massive law. Yeah, program I read about was that they're uh, promoting uh, farmers to be more productive in corn growth used for ethanol. And to me, I think that's an unintended consequence or an oversight. I think ethanol is not a sustainable fuel. I mean, there's a lot of uh, negatives with ethanol. It takes a lot of land. Usually it's good, you know, uh, rich soils uh, that you're using to grow corn to turn into fuel. it creates spike in food prices. The distillation process is not good for the environment. They, the ethanol actually has a lower BTU uh, value and it burns hotter, which is really hard on engines decreasing the engine uh, life. So, you know, why would we promote ethanol production in, in a climate bill? <laughs> Especially yeah, I, if we're going to go off ethanol to electric cars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know what was going on there other than maybe it's some, some classic kind of political um, lobbying maneuvering. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it is, I mean, it doesn't, it's never really seemed like a, a climate win and, and especially when the, the general consensus among you know, climate uh, analysts is we're, we're electrifying, you know, we, we, we aren't going to need to burn corn based fuels if we can just switch to batteries, or, uh, which is what the, the, you know, most of the IRA is, is geared towards this like electrification and, and speeding up the pace of that. So, uh, yeah, not really sure. Not really sure. How well, that that's what happens when you there. get lobbyists in Washington and special interest groups. But in general, I think this is a good bill. Only time will tell the positive impact it has on America. But these days, anything that comes out has controversy. And whether an act is well-written or it has unintentional consequences, there's issues. So uh, can you tell me what are the key controversial issues uh, in this bill? Yeah, I think um, the, you know, leaving out the transmission, as we talked about, is definitely something that uh, the small community of transmission geeks was was upset about. Um, The uh, other potential unintended consequences I'm I'm keeping an eye on are, are what this means in the realm of international relations, um, because there's a lot in here that's about reshoring uh, the manufacturing supply chain. And in fact, you know, this is already happening. Like there's been, we've counted over $80 billion of new factory investment from private companies in the U.S. since just for the clean energy uh, factories. Um, And that's drawn companies away from Europe. Like there's, there's numerous companies that were about to build a new, say, battery factory in Europe. And then they're they're like, wait, guys, uh, the U.S. is giving us more money. We're going over there. And, uh, you know, so now Europe's upset because we're sort of using uh, government money to like bring bring people over there. Um, But there's also tensions with China because a lot of this is geared at, um, you know, 
pulling away from our dependence on China for supplying clean energy stuff and, and building it here instead. And, um, you know, there's a lot of arguments that, yeah, we should actually be building stuff in America. Like we invented a lot of these technologies. Yes. It's good to have the jobs here. So I think right now everyone's really excited about that reinvestment in the classic, like, Main Street America, you know, putting jobs back in the heartland and everything. Um, but, you know, there is this possibility of kind of green protectionism. Uh, and, you know, what does it mean if we're sort of like turning away from other parts of the world to, to build it here? Will those other parts of the world uh, retaliate in some way? Um, too soon to tell on that, but it's it's an interesting and very new kind of theme to, to watch. It's like, what are the ramifications of kind of like shoring up the, the manufacturing base within our, our borders. Well, one of the nice things about renewable energy is it's not exportable. You know, you have to consume it very closely. And so I think building an American-based industry uh, that's vertically integrated makes a lot of sense. And yes, other countries may complain, but at the end of the day, it uh, it's better than importing oil and uh, uh, lithium from other countries. So... We'll have to keep an eye on it. Julian, I really enjoyed talking to you. There's way too much to cover here. Love to have you back on the show. Uh, maybe as you write about this electrification, you know, there's uh, things that we can cover in a little bit and digest in a little bit smaller bites. Um, but if you have any news or updates on this, uh, please, please, you're always welcome back. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's great to connect and I and, uh, hope this was fruitful for your listeners. It's too much, too much to cover in one sitting, but um, I hope we we, we kind of took a took a good whack at it. Well, it was a content rich and informative discussion. Uh, thank you for joining us on Green Sense. Awesome, glad to be here. That's Julian Spector, senior reporter at Canary Media, providing us with a deep dive into the Inflation Reduction Act. Visit the GreenSenseShow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense, and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.